Our state-by-state -state look at coronavirus trends is more encouraging this Sunday. Welcome to the Alt-Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. The wildfires that have devastated parts of Australia. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future at the intersection of self, community, and planet. We live in uncertain times, a powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Auto's reached the transport site. Trying to lock on. Five, four, three. Welcome. We are live at Best, a beautiful plant-based restaurant here in Ubud. Very breezy. I'm really, really excited to be here today. My name is Tiffany, and I will be the host of the show, The Alt Normal Episode 2. And before I introduce this lovely lady sitting next to me today, um, I just want to center us on what this is and why we're here. Alt Normal is um, a show where we amplify and explore the diverse voices of Bali, doing the critical work of rebuilding um, a healthier, more sustainable alternative future at the intersection of self, community, and planet. So, you know, we're living in these very uncertain times, but we're also living in this really powerful moment of revolution. Um, we all have a part to play. So how we really steer this path forward together will determine what kind of future that we can remake together consciously. So with that, I am super excited to introduce our guest for today's show, Azizi Berkland. Thank you, Azizi, for being here today. So a little bit about Azizi. Um, she is a conscious and, might I add, very serial entrepreneur. She does a lot of things, um, and we're going to talk about those things today. And her most recent venture is a project called Tiny Green Chef, which is um, a nutritional plant-based program for kids to be more discerning eaters um, and to better fuel their mind, body, and spirit so that they can be future stewards of this new earth. And originally from the U.S., she and her family left most recently in 2017 and has since uh, left and has been residing here in Bali during COVID. So with 20 years of fitness and nutritional counseling under her belt, Azizi has since evolved her offerings to invest in projects that really help people dismantle one self-limiting belief at a time so that they can create a life that's more in tune with their whole and true self. Plus her passion for conscious parenting um, has led her to develop uh, a world schooler social network uh, called Stone Soon Family Pop-Up, uh, providing families on extended travel, much like herself, an opportunity to connect and create powerful experiences in community. So empowerment is really a common denominator in everything that Azizi loves to do and share. So we're super thrilled to have her here on the show today. Yeah, thanks Welcome. for having me. Yeah, awesome. So let's just start from the beginning, just to kind of learn about your really interesting um, life. Tell us maybe a little bit about why you and your family 
uh, decided to leave most recently and what that transition was like as a family? Uh, well, once we got down to it, it was easy. But the road to it was a little bit, um, a lot of curves, a lot of turns. Mostly we left because we realized that we needed to let go of really everything that we had kind of put ourselves into mm-hmm. and then create our own life. And that didn't, it wasn't so much that we didn't like the United States or that uh, it wasn't for us. There were aspects that were not for us. And the more things that we cut out of our life, it didn't really make sense to continue to living in the way we were living at all. So it was a really good opportunity for us to have a clean slate. My husband left his job. Uh, We were already homeschooling. That happened as a process of moving back to the U.S., recognizing that the way we were planning to live was absolutely not what we wanted, Mm. recognizing that we were living what I kind of liken to a template life. We had picked the best template out of the catalog uh, that seemed to fit where we were already heading and then put ourselves in. Mother is here, and then mother does that according to this. Father does this. Children will do that. And then when I moved back to the U.S. after having my second daughter, uh, it was actually, whose life is this? Who chose this template? Or even recognizing that we had and being really honest with ourselves, that we hadn't really made decisions. Mm-hmm. So over the process of, honestly, the first six months I was there, I could tell moving back to the U.S. that everything in me had changed. And I didn't necessarily know that would end up selling everything um, literally putting our lives down into a suitcase into leaving, I just knew that what we were doing wasn't going to work. And then by the process of undoing all of those, just like the murkiness of, oh, what have I done? I'm supposed to be a parent, and I I thought we had it all right. We moved to this place on purpose, and now I have to make all these changes. Once I got over all of that, then cutting things out just became a lot easier. And so there was not much left and not much reason to stay in this house, in this neighborhood, uh, just kind of locked into that life. So we mm. left. And uh, just like that. yeah, just like that. I first started on my own because my husband wasn't exactly ready. It wasn't like, it wasn't as much as, oh, we shouldn't do this. Let's go out in the world. No, this was a few years in the making. And uh, once my husband realized that this was something he wanted, but the fear was still keeping, keeping him back, I just decided to go out on my own at first. So I would travel on my own with my daughters, anywhere between three to six weeks on my own, uh, out of the country, Costa Rica, Mexico, wherever. Uh, something drew me in, whether it was a world schooling event or we stayed in a spiritual commune. Um, and so I was doing that. And then eventually, I think he thought, he realized, these trips are going to keep getting longer. <laughs> and at some point, he... So I, okay, I'm ready to come out with you. And then once that happened, we sold the house four months later and we were out. So yeah, when you know, it's just everything else just becomes formality. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's really cool to hear that it was a process for you and you kind of tested the waters a little bit at a time and then it became this organic decision and transition. Yep. So let's kind of switch gears to 2020 and this time that we're living in now. Um, So when COVID hit, you were here in Bali. Mm -hmm. So did you consider as a family, 
ever really going home, and I put home in quotes because, right, what is home? Everyone's definition is different. Yeah. Or did you feel like you had to really stay here in Bali to do or experience something important? Yeah. So for, for me, I found out one of the main reasons why we were able to leave is because we recognize that we are the home. And especially as parents, we literally need to be the home for our children everywhere. And when we started traveling, that was even more important because you're going into unfamiliar places. When we left, my daughters were six and eight. My youngest daughter was a little bit more attached to the home. She grew up in New Jersey. It was all she really knew as a home. So we really worked early on uh, to make it our business to establish ourselves as a home. Because there was, as far as we were concerned, there was no going back. My husband is Norwegian. America is in his home anyway. I had already detached myself as an American needing to live there. So we weren't actually going to the U.S. at all. We were planning to leave Bali in March uh, to go out and do some more traveling. But what happened in that moment was it helped us get really grounded about why are we even leaving? Where are we going? Even if... We started thinking, if this, if this wasn't happening, why were we going out anyway? Is it just because we could? And when we really got clear and asked ourselves those questions of why we were going to these things, it was just because they were available. There were options. They weren't necessarily in line with our purpose. So I really thank this COVID incident for happening because it allowed us to regroup. Because when, when you live a lifestyle like this, where you can just do whatever you want, we're living out in the world, we have virtual work and income opportunities, so we can go where we want, but that's not really enough if we want to live according to a, a more clearer and guided purpose, especially being role models for our children. But also, one of the main things that I think is community is extremely important, and that needs to be created. If, if I'm the home, then that means wherever I'm at is the neighborhood around me that I need to be interacting with. And when we were planning to travel around, we started what you mentioned in the early, earlier, which was called Stone Soup Family Pop-Up Community. It's a really long title. But essentially what it is is that families get together for about a month at a time somewhere in the world that I've selected, and we create community for one month at a time. And I wanted to do this because I think community is really important. But I also think that many people miss out on that opportunity and they use the excuse of, especially families who are traveling, of, I don't have enough time. I'm not going to really be there. I don't know how to establish roots. And I say, let's see what we can do in a month. So you can see if you can do this in a month, then you can do it in two months. And what would that look like across a year if you just got intentional and drew in people who are also interested in being intentional about the way they live? And so we'd already started Stone Soup. I did one in Bali last year in Ahmed. So I'm already familiar with just creating community wherever you're at and drawing on the people around you who are also committed to living a, a deeper purpose. So in that moment, we said, we're going to stay. Actually, I really enjoy Bali. It was already feeling a little bit sad to be leaving. And just overnight, we canceled everything. And that was it. We just told the people we're extending, we're staying, and it felt completely natural. And after that, we really did start creating intentional community with people right here. Uh, and it reminded me to make sure that I'm doing that always, not just when there's a so-called crisis that tells me that now I need to be worried about my surroundings 
many people need to worry about their surroundings right now because they did not do the work to set up real community and relationships and learn what is really a value to them in their lives. So now they're scrambling. But we weren't doing that before. So there was no reason why I would go out into madness and do that now and start playing airport tag and all that other kind of crazy stuff. I wasn't doing that. So we just said, stop the press, cancel everything. We had a few countries we were going to before we went to the U.S., canceled it, didn't even look back. That was it. Uh, so, yeah, Bali feels feels like a home in a home, I suppose. I'm the home in the home. And it feels really good. And I'm meeting and uh, communing with people <clears throat> who feel very similar about being and living where we're at right now because that's the only time you have. And um, we're just doing it. We're doing it here and people should do it everywhere. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, we're going to come back to that because I want to dig a little bit more about Stone Soup in a second. But I want to get to something that you shared recently um, about this word sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have your hands in many projects and you know, the sky's really the limit, right? And, and I think you're a really shining example of that. Um, but coming back to this word sovereignty and why this is your guiding word for 2020, can you maybe unpack what that word means and why you feel this is the word for me this year and how that can ripple out um, to make a healthier community planet um, yeah, and service? Sure. Uh, sovereignty for me is really standing in a place of total self-acceptance and full responsibility of everything that goes on in your life, starting with your thoughts and your emotions and where you're connected to, what you're connected to. So sovereignty is not a physical thing because many people think it means that I have, I have my, I own my own property. I control the land. I can, it's not that, that may be one way of exercising your sovereignty, but the things you have or not have, don't have anything to do with it. It has to do with your commitment to upholding yourself and your principles above all else, especially when, when challenges hit. That's when you can tell if a person's living in sovereignty. When, when challenges hit and a person is able to recognize their challenges, see that challenge as an opportunity to get clear or grow or evolve rather than run or cower down or, or deflect or get defensive, usually that would mean you're out of sovereignty, that you're not really to stand, ready to stand in that full-on understanding that I am completely accountable for myself and my actions. And that may mean that I have to make some difficult decisions. That may mean I have to constantly change and grow. And that feels really hard. The sovereignty is not static. And that's the thing. People are looking for this place where they get to a sovereign place. <laughs> Let me know when you get there. It's not going to happen. Because sovereignty is constant change and growth, which means there is no place. There is no time where you're going, oh, okay, finally, I've done everything. And I can just live on my own sovereign farm happily ever after. You know, it's not going to happen. It almost sounds like um, a practice. It's a practice. It is a practice. That's literally what it is. That's even shorter than what I said. <laughs> it's a practice. It's over and over again. As a parent, many people get to test that out in real time. Um, I don't recommend parenting to practice out sovereignty, but you definitely will be. It's a great place to get solid in your sovereignty, to solidify what a sovereign means, because I have these beings who are looking up to me, but I'm also 
recognizing I have a role and a responsibility to them, but I'm not responsible for them because as a sovereign, I'm not responsible for anyone. And that would mean that I expect other sovereigns to be responsible for themselves so that we can really be responsible to each other. So that's where we're at right now. So a lot of people are wanting other people to be responsible for their health, for their children's education, for their income. I'm losing my job. I'm losing my health. Whoa. And you're trying to get other people to now do things, to use their sovereignty for you. But a real sovereign would never want anyone else to use their sovereignty for them. Because they understand if they're standing in their sovereign and they respect that and they respect everyone else as a sovereign. And then what we could do together is, is enormously different. But you have to do that from a place of sovereignty. Otherwise, there's going to be some victimization happening. There's going to be this neediness. There's going to be the othering. All of those types of things come in where people don't understand their, their absolute self-accountability to themselves. And then when they do that, how much they can bring, how much value they can bring to each other from that place. And that means it's constantly changing depending on what is demanded of you in that moment. And that's why it's a practice because the only way you can do it is in the field (laughs) and you can't prepare for it. Just no way. Beautifully said. And segueing into this concept of home, which is something that I see in being a theme in, in projects that you initiate and maintain whether it's home schooling with your daughters, home cooking, home making and community building with others. And perhaps you can tell us why you're so passionate about the home space and maybe even tying in some of this philosophy about sovereignty into that. Yeah, but those are tools and those are ways of uh, owning your responsibility. And for me, that meant getting clear on what are my top priorities. And it starts in the home, first starts in this home. What's going on in this home? How's my mind? What kind of state am I in? What's the health of my body, my connection, my mind? And then if it's disconnected or out of order or, or, or I'm not in command of it, what do I need to do to be in command uh, and have a deeper connection with myself? Because when I'm more deeply connected to myself, then people get better access to me. And again, it goes back to that parenting. So if I start thinking about where am I disconnected as a sovereign, it's my responsibility to get connected, to do what it takes for those connections to happen. I can't connect, right? I have to create the, the events around that that creates this bond, this connection with self. I can't force it. It's not a thing to happen. But there are tools and rituals and uh, priorities that I can set, that I can continue to do that then strengthen those bonds. And uh, knowing what goes into my body and being way more responsible for it all the time, day to day, is top priority for me. Between what goes into my my mouth, uh, what goes into my mind, I have more command over that if I'm actually doing it. So that's how Tiny Green Chef got started. Because for me, uh, I meet a lot of adults who don't know anything about their health, let alone how to just cook a basic healthy meal that doesn't feel like a burden because there isn't anything fried or dead on their plate. So being able to do that with my children right now so that they understand what their responsibility is, it's not my job to be chasing behind them, feeding them broccoli or all these types of things, making sure they get what they need. It's automatic that they need to be doing that. 
at an age appropriate or access appropriate um, based on their skill set or where they're at to start showing them what that looks like right now. The home education is every parent really is a home educator. They just, just choose to recognize that or not. It's their responsibility. When you send your child to school, as far as I'm concerned, that's outsourcing, but you're the one who should be the commander in chief in terms of how that goes down. Checking in. If you're sending your child to school without a plan of why you're sending them there, not just because you're supposed to or, you know, you're in the good school. What does that even mean, being in the good school district? So home education is, again, like sovereignty. It's constantly evolving. I started out, of course, in the beginning, just give me the curriculum so I make sure I do it right. And then I was, get this out of here. That's just school. I can send my children to school. I'm going to do that. So wait a minute. What does education even mean to me? Or what does my child actually gaining some, uh, some, some kind of so-called knowledge mean? What's the purpose of it? Then I know what I need to put in front of them to hopefully give them access to that. And it, it included learning how to cook for yourself, learning about a basic foundation of nourishing your body versus just nutrition, which is a little bit more, um, here are all the details, here's the list, here's the vitamins. But nourishment is what I'm trying to hopefully give them access to, and that comes in what goes into their mind, the practice that they have every day. And it is my job to oversee it uh, as their role model, as their guide at this level of their life, but also a bit detached and not in checking myself to make sure it's not about me and what I want them to do if I really want to grow sovereigns. So I have to be willing to be challenged by every single thing <laughs> I do with my children which means a lot of change and growth, and they get to see that. We weren't always a, full, a fully plant-based family or, or vegan, as people would say, but they saw the process of what it took for me to get there, and they were involved in it from growing the garden or when we were eating from a specific farm when we were eating, eating meat. They were all a part of that. So when we went into this area, they were also recognized why I made that decision, and it wasn't just now we do it, now we don't. A lot of discussion, a lot of... Um, just seeing the steps that took part in that and then them being able to openly challenge that and challenge and challenge it openly while we can have a dialogue about it and not just push back just because I can. Uh, so, yeah, that's a long answer for it, but it's a it's a it's a topic in itself. So there's yeah. so many pieces that I want to go deeper into. And maybe can you walk us through a day in the life? Uh, of the Brooklyn home and maybe because this word sovereignty I love it um, and maybe just a moment that you can recall when one of your daughters or both of them had that aha I'm being sovereign now and this is something that I like and I want to continue to cultivate because mm -hmm. it feels good for me and my body and it makes mom and dad happy and it's useful mm -hmm. yeah so my youngest daughter, she's the best at checking us on whether or not we're committed to our sovereignty and hers. So just a little bit, I could say last week, there was a good example of what that looks like in terms of, is my child being sovereign? Am I committed to upholding that in her? And also knowing where the line is crossing, where she's crossing the line into my sovereignty or am I crossing the line into hers beyond the role of a guide? Of course, I have more responsibility. I should. She's eight. But where that is, is, is really can get a bit tricky because of you being a parent, you being bigger, you being older. I could easily play the I'm the parent. That's because I said so. 
But last week, my daughters had, this was like the popular sleepover week. And normally, I know in general that one sleepover a week, is meaning one day is enough. But somehow they managed to get three in, in one week. And that's basically like being a rock star on the road for about 60 days <laughs> for an eight-year-old, at least my eight-year-old. And I thought, you know what? Just this is great. You know, they have all these friends. They have this group that really want to hang out together. I'm going to honor that. Well, of course, she came back and she was pretty much, I would say it was like a hangover. She woke up the next day and she's miserable. She hadn't had enough sleep for three, four days. And she's groggy. She doesn't want to handle any of her normal commitments that she already has, a math, grammar, those types of things. And she also had music class and she didn't want to go. And I, because I could feel myself wanting to punish her, I'll be honest. I was like, I want her to see this is what happens when you want to party like a rock star and you come home and you have a hangover. That stuff still needs to get done. You don't just get to have a hangover just because. And but my eight year old. So music time comes around and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to that. And I'm like, oh, yes, you are. And she's like, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I said, well, who gives you the right, you know? And she says, I'm not feeling well. And I don't want to sit up in the, um, in the music class, a private lesson, feeling like this. And of course I go in because I'm coming from ego, not sovereignty. Well, you should have thought about that on a day two of the sleepover. <laughs> and she's like, why would I do that? I was having fun. And she's just challenging it. And I said, well, you're going anyway. And she just looked at me and walked away. And an hour later, it was time for her to go. And I go into my lecture mode, which is totally not, I'm really just pushing it now because I'm just like, I know she's right because she's right. Why would she go to a place where she's not going to be a value, waste someone else's time, sit there, not being able to bring her best, which I talk about, either bring your best or go stay home. It's kind of my, one of my things. Go, just do it, go all in or don't bother at all. And here she is actually showing me, I'm not willing to go all in, so I'm not going. And she's right, but because I'm wanting her to learn the lesson, which she already has, because she's got the hangover, right? <laughs> she's just coming down off the sugar and all that other good stuff. And so her body has already given her the punishment, has already told her, and if she does this enough time, she will make the connection of whether or not this is good for my future, let alone, um, just the people around me who, who are now being affected. This music teacher was waiting for you. So there is a lesson already there. We have to let them know this, he, this is, you know, not the way we conduct ourselves, but she's eight and she has to learn these lessons, but she's learning them and she's noticing that she didn't allow her body to go beyond and push it because of someone else, because that's not sovereignty. And that means sometimes you have to miss out on things. And that means sometimes you might, it might look like you're letting other people down, but actually she was bringing that awareness that she wasn't going to be able to sit in that space and respect that person the way she should in their time. So it's best to not go at all. And that's what it looks like. But as a parent who's committed to sovereignty, as you can hear, I'm not above pushing that, you know, because the program in me is like, what? We said you got, you, we've already agreed on this. And she said, yeah, well, that doesn't apply in this situation, right? Because it's practice. It's not, it's not a one and done. It's not, I've committed to music class, so I go all the time. No, it's situational. It's circumstantial. 
And now we're in the field. And now here we go, one sovereign to another. But that takes a practice. And of course, I eased back. I didn't drag her. There's no real punishments in our home. It's not like you go on punishment, as they call it. There's no beating. A lot of, lot of, lot of talk. A lot of talk. So that's probably punishment in itself. But other than that, it's pretty harmless because every deed has a consequence attached, whether it's one we value or whether it's one we don't want to repeat, right? So I don't really need to do what I did, but I did anyway. But I like to see that she challenged me. She didn't just drag herself because I said she was willing to take a stand at eight years old. And that took her recognizing and me actually doing my work for her to see what that looks like. So it's great to see it paying off. Of course, there's that part of the parent part that's just like, this is really paying off. (laughs) This is really working. And this is what it looks like to create a sovereign right before your eyes at eight years old. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah. So many lessons packed into sovereignty, you know, setting your boundaries, checking in with your body, learning to build trust Mm -hmm. with the body's innate wisdom and intelligence and being able to then communicate that in a non-harmful and respectful way to someone else, be it a parent or be it to a colleague, or I guess pulling back from this particular moment and kind of going into the, you know, the community building, right, with all these other families that want to try out this new lifestyle Mm -hmm. where they live amongst community and and learn how to be more conscious in their homemaking, community building and parenting style. What do you feel is the biggest challenge for parents who are entering this for the first time yeah what are the biggest challenges that you see and then what do you feel are the biggest opportunities for parents Mm. who want to take that step and try this out probably the biggest challenge is letting go and letting uh embracing possibilities over this exact you know goals you know being more open to the possibilities rather than trying to make it right or trying to predict the outcome from the onset because the old world or the old world for us, it would be the old world, but the paradigm right now is take the safe way. And that's why you take the template. That's why people just, okay, go to school, get a good, get a, find a husband, get married, have a child, safe, 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 safe. They can see it because it's all around them. They don't necessarily like it. They're not necessarily really interested in waiting until they're 65 and their kids are gone and no longer want to be around them because they've never grown their relationship. But they see that route. It may not feel great, but it feels safe that it's more likely to turn out that way. Now, when you do this kind of life, you don't know where it's going to go. So you have to let go and let in on possibilities being uh, much more valuable and every time you get a new a new challenge, it just look at it as a new possibility for you to go in another direction rather than trying to play it safe, play it right, and um, make it foolproof. It's not going to happen that way. If you try and force it, you're either going to get burned out, you're going to be stressed because you'll find that all the things that you're trying to do in the new world, that suddenly you're bringing the old world with you and it's, it's controlling all your thoughts and your actions and your emotions. Because the old world says you don't even have a right to be out here doing this in the first place. That's so dangerous for you and your children. What are you thinking as a parent to not have them in school, to not have a constant environment, to use 
to have your own form of medicine, all these things. They're like, wait a minute, that's so unsafe. Have you thought about that? The statistics say this and that. So in this life, you really have to be willing to open up to possibilities and let go of this out idea that I'm going to do it right and I'm going to do it and it's going to be safe. So how do you do that? You realize that if if that if the old life was so great, what is urging you to leave in the first place? Keep reminding yourself that you know inside that that is either not for you or you don't want all of it. There might be parts that you want to bring with you, but there was something that already told you, no, I'm not really interested in this. Keep going back to what caused you to want to try this something new in the first place. Whenever that old thought comes in, it's like, you're doing it. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. You keep saying, it might be because it's new. Maybe. Let's just, let's just see. Let's just see from, when we, I'll know it's really dangerous when I get there. Right now, this is just a thought that it's dangerous, but I'm physically safe. I actually still have all my faculties. That thought is actually just trying to pull me back into the program because that program is really strong. It's been conditioned over a long period of time. But you got to keep going back to what what got you to this unsafe zone in the first. Why did you want to not play it safe anymore? And keep checking in with that person. That's the true person talking to you. And they're not going to yell because the true self connection to source does not need to be boastful. It's not going to wave a flag in front of those are decoys. Decoys need your attention. That's advertising and marketing. They have to be big and loud and boastful. True self is like a whisper. You have to lean in on it to hear it. It's not moving. So if you want, when you'll know when you start getting away from it because you'll start seeing red flags. They're just pulling you in. It's like a bull, just waving it in. That means you're getting closer, you're getting further away from your source. And source, your source, your true self is just standing there like, I'll wait. It's fine. Okay. Look at her. Look at her going out there. She's got all kinds of flags. She's just going down rabbit holes that aren't for you, all kinds of stuff. But your solid self just always stays. It's immovable. So you go back to that place where you feel, whether or not you feel safe or not, but you feel in within yourself. You feel like this is me and I'm going to do this challenge anyway. Because remember how we said we don't like that? Why? Who is that that keeps trying to pull me back in? That's the decoy. That's the decoy duck. They want you back in there because the, they feel safe knowing that you're under its control. So let that feel unsafe. Let them feel unsafe. You stay with the true self. Beautiful. I, I wonder, um, because this is a very strong philosophy that you practice and you, I assume, share this also within the Stone Soup family circle. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation um, about this concept of home and creating home within self comes from rituals, things that you put in your body to nourish. Um, can you maybe share uh, a ritual that you practice regularly to help you really adhere to your sovereignty and allow those decoys to stay where they are? Um, yeah, I would love to hear about a ritual. And also, if you ever do like get pulled in and, and need to cut it in the moment when it shows up, because like, we're yeah. human. So, That's right. Yes. You know, well, as I said, what, what happened with my daughter was the old self, right? What? You're going to go anyway. That's the old self coming in. 
I knew the true self knew, of course, why would I, why would anyone send their child to a place where they're not going to be useful and they're going to be a burden to others? But I have a checks and balance that that happens faster. That process that might drag on where I'm actually dragging her there, that won't happen because I've done the work and I'm watching myself do, do all these things. But a ritual that I, I find, especially for me, is getting up early. It, it seems so cliche, but getting up, as I like to say, before you do, <laughs> like get up before yourself, that all those thoughts and all like the, the program wakes up. So I like to get up early and really be the first one in the home to get up because I'm responsible to my daughters in a certain way. And, you know, they get 10, 11, 12 hours of sleep sometime. So they wake up ready. They just wake up like energizer, just straight. There's no warm up. So I need to warm up before they do because they don't warm up. They don't need to at this stage in their life. There's nothing to warm up to. When they're warming up, they're they're not awake yet. That's when their warm up happens. When their eyes open, they're just ready to go. Um, and not that that is a burden, but I need to be prepared for that so that I'm not feeling like someone is invading my space because I haven't done that work and I haven't put that space aside for myself knowing how important it is for me. So waking up early and just really sitting in that space and just allowing any leftover thoughts that are coming in, just let them be heard. And just this morning I did that. I just sat, I got up this morning and I, I recommend getting up anywhere between four and five thirty. So when I say early, I really mean early for me. You know, if your children don't get up until eight, maybe six is fine for you. Maybe seven, maybe you only need a half hour before, uh, even if you don't have children, maybe you have to be to work or somewhere, get up before the time it takes to get ready on someone else's program. So if you have to be to work and it takes you from seven to get ready, then you get up at 630. Whatever amount of time that's just yours for you to be in your own space, I recommend it. So many people get up. By the time they get up, everything is already going. It's like they're trying to catch up with themselves. And that's because they are kind of, they haven't prioritized themselves so that they're ahead of all of that. Get up early. And so what does that do for me? That is a practice of literally getting up before I do. Like I was saying with my daughter, because there will still be those decoys that come in because I'm human and I still have my ego that wants to be heard. I recognize that as, a, as, a, as an identity, but not as me. So all the emotions that come in, I don't see them as Azizi. I just see them, see them as different aspects different identities of when I'm really not being me, me, but they're still a part of me. They're like split personalities, but they all work for the commanding officer who is me. That's me. And then ego, anger, lust, pride, all of those other ones are kind of around me. And I've created them. They're more under my command, but they're still there. They're great reminders. I'm not trying to get rid of them. I don't need to get rid of them anymore. I just don't have to be a slave to them. I don't have to be a, a under their command. They're still working for me. So when anger comes around, now anger's working for me. I get to use that information. I don't respond to anger though. Before you get into practice of understanding your emotions or just information, you start responding to the emotion itself rather than why the emotion is coming up. So when ego comes up, I don't respond to ego so, so, so much anymore. Or I certainly don't continue. If I find myself responding to ego, I'm, get a checks and balance that's like 
you know, you're just talking to yourself right now. You're not even talking to your daughter. In fact, she just walked away. You're really literally not talking to her. So how long are you going to do that? But that's a, that's the, that's the me voice that has been trained to um, recognize that they're not going to go away. They're just information for me to continue to stand in my center. They're necessary. Don't even try and get rid of them. Just learn how to use them as information, like your senses. They say we have five senses, right? We obviously have way more than that. But for the sake of this conversation, when I smell something, it's not just, oh, that smells good, I should eat. Because, well, many people do that, though, right? Mm, that smells good, I want some. Oh, I need some, I have to have some. I've been craving this. Have you been craving it? Or have you just, you just smelled something that smells good? Doesn't mean you need to respond to the taste buds. They work for you. They're just bringing you information. That smells good. Oh, thank you. That's true, it does. Not that smells good, I need to eat it. You don't have to respond to the emotion or the senses. Just information. What you do with it is up to you. But you can be controlled by it. That's an option too, right? An option many people take. And that's fine because the more you learn how to how to um, really evaluate how you respond to your reactions, your 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 emotions, then you can get better at using them uh, in a way that sh- that serves you rather than you serve them. Yeah, I think it's really important to be in very intimate connection with yourself mm-hmm. to be able to create that checks and balances. And yeah, it's very inspiring to see that you do the work and you also empower your daughters to do the work and you can only teach as far as you go, right? So it's important to show up first for yourself before empowering um, and supporting others. And um, now I kind of want to like zoom out a little bit and kind of look at culture more broadly now, right? You've really developed a practice for your home within to be able to then homeschool, help your daughters and through this tiny green chef help other parents empower their kids to learn how to cook. So I think I read some crazy statistic. Um, It's nothing that we don't know, but just around the world, schools in over 100 countries are closed. There are about 1 billion students that are now at home Mm -hmm. with their parents. Yay! And that's a lot of people (laughs) in homes now. And with parents who are probably learning how to be full-time parents for the first time. Mm -hmm. So with that little nugget in mind, what would be your greatest vision for how families can start to utilize that space and that time to become a more conscious and empowered and sovereign family? What would be your greatest vision for that? Well, I think this is a perfect time, first of all. And I know all the parents who have never parent recognized this was their responsibility or in shock, but great because it was always their responsibility. It's just that you don't get to um, think about that, how much you outsource in your life. So what I would love to see, and it's happening because as some schools are opening and their kids basically need to be in full armor to go and many parents are like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to do that. So a lot of them are considering keeping their children at home, even for the schools that are opening, because they realize the conditions their kids are going to have to be in. So there's already some some parents that are like, wait a minute, this is forcing them to really, why am I doing this anyway? Why am I sending my child? And for the parents who have been at home with their children for the last three, four, whatever months it was, I don't know school years anymore, 
however long it was between school ending and they were doing this distant learning thing and recognizing just how um, little time it actually takes for their child to learn the, the program. And even for the people who aren't ready to reject, to, to let go of the program itself, they're recognizing that it doesn't take seven hours to even do just the stuff that their schools are offering. So what I think parents and families can do right now is just slow down and stop trying to figure out how to fill their lives again. Because many of them are now trying to do the same thing in the homeschooling realm because it's new to them, of course. And if they haven't figured out uh, that it doesn't need to be seven hours, in fact, if you're really living a good life with your child at home, there, there's, this is not Little House on the Prairie. We do not sit up at my house for seven hours and they sit at a little desk and I stand there with a little ruler and a pointer. That would be just horror. That would be nightmare on Elm Street kind of stuff. I would never do that to myself or them. But many people are realizing, oh, it doesn't even, I don't even need to do half that amount of time. And I'm seeing my child soar because they're at home. So why are they soaring now in three hours than the amount of time it wasn't even happening in seven hours? Because they're now at home. And there is something that's instinctual that home is the place of safety. Home is the place that I can feel nurtured and the place that I can feel um, at peace. And I'm saying, parents, do whatever you can to keep that foundation in the home. It's, it's getting harder because with that distant learning, you allowed someone else to come into your home and sit your child in front of a TV screen, which is what a lot of people did. But first and foremost, before they start adding anything and even thinking about home education at all, just create the home as it was meant to be, a place of safety and security, a place of peace, a place of where I can feel respected and uh, just the sense, this natural sense of belonging. Like this is my home. This is where I can relax, and I can I can feel heard. That's what parents start there, and then after you do what we would consider de-schooling, which is really can take months for a parent to even do a de-schooling process, which is this undoing of all of their their schooling mind and program. Then perhaps you start looking at home education with your child. Your child's going to be okay. If your child does not do the program for a whole year, your child's probably going to learn about five times more anyway because they're learning it in real time as real life happens. So I say just create that space of the home. Don't even think about home education starts with the parent re-educating themselves and reconnecting. And then their child's going to see that way more valuable than trying to shove another book or another program or something that just feels like they're doing busy work. Don't even don't do that. Don't do that. That's what you were doing before. You were going to this job, your husband going this job, your kids were going that way. You met somewhere between dinner and bedtime and then you did it all over again. Busy work, busy work. No results. How do we know that that wasn't working? Because look at where people are at right now when, when, when the lights went out. Scrambling. When the lights turn back on, everybody's just hunkered down in a corner, just shivering. Because all that time was busy work. Slow down. Reconnect. Make the home actually the heart again. Add back that heart. Add back that soul. Then in a couple of months, we can talk about what might look like something so-called routine or standard. Or if, And then by that, I bet you won't even want to do that. You won't even want it because you're going to see how much your child soars.
just naturally. So much. Yeah, there's Wisdom a lot. Just yeah. Letting it land. Yeah. Um, you seem to have a lot of clarity, and it's it's really inspiring to see that you see this moment. I think you said, "I love the crumbling." Love it. I love the foundation <laughs> is crumbling, which you know um, is is a light right now for for just where we're at as a culture. Um, in this moment, though, do you have any have any big questions surfaced for you where? you don't have the answers yet, or you're just wondering, hmm, you know, how will this pan out in X amount of time? Like just a question that you yeah. know, wake up thinking and go to bed thinking about. Yeah, I don't have any answers. <laughs> That's such a good place. The moment I start having the answers, I lack all possibilities. When I think I have the answers, I don't know what's going on right now. You know, some places they're like COVID exists. Some places say they don't exist. Some places are talking about alien takeover. Oh, my gosh, there's so much stuff out there. I have no answers. But you know what I have? Sovereignty. Because sovereignty says no matter what is about to come in, I'm going to do what I need to do in that moment regardless. I don't care if there's only 10 days left on this planet. I'm going out sovereign. I'm going to have a good time regardless. I'm going to still do what I need to do. Because what else is there? So I, the questions that I have is, when are people going to figure out that they should stop looking for answers? Because answers, in my opinion, is what got us here. People start at first with the answer. You know, oh, I want my child to have a good education. That's an answer as far as they're concerned. But they didn't even ask what that even means. Oh, I just want to have a good job. Oh, I just, those, those are, your, so they do all the things that they think will solve that answer. And then they get there really dissatisfied, unfulfilled, because they actually don't even know what it really takes for me, me. What do I want? Don't start with the answers. So I don't have any. So then my questions, I don't have many either. I mean, hmm, what should I eat today? Do I want a papaya smoothie or the whole papaya? You know, I start that way. And that maybe that sounds like I just let everything go. No, I don't, because I've done so many things that are a part of my natural ritual of being a sovereign, taking care of myself, that when this whole thing happened, I didn't need to change anything about my health. My Every day I'm committed to my health, not just when someone tells me I need to suddenly be worried. I'm not even worried about my health. I trust that my body knows what it should do. And if I'm wrong, guess what? I'm going to find out. And I'm prepared to do whatever it takes when I get there. But am I going to worry about it on the way and lower my stress, increase my stress, lower my immune system to guarantee that my body is not prepared and my mind is scrambled? I'm not going to do that. I don't need to help things if there's something out there already that's going to be a challenge. I'm not going to help it. Not on its side. I'm not crazy in a little bit, but just the right amount of crazy, right? So I would say abandon questions and just be... Trust that if you are committed to being accountable and responsible and whatever that is, that you just keep checking in. Every single time there's a challenge, just be thankful that you're still alive to meet it. Even if you're not, then well, you're done. So the worst thing could happen is you die. Everybody's going out that way, as far as I've heard. I don't know anybody who makes it out alive. So it's what you do from here to there that really matters. And it almost seems like we are in a moment of death and rebirth, yep. all the systems exposed, fragile, 
questioned, even though we just talked about not having yeah. questions, but um, we are in this very powerful moment where, you know, new things can yeah. arise. Ask deeper questions is more of what I'm saying. The surface question of uh, what school I should send my child to, what kind of job should I, those are, that's surface layer. So if you're going to ask questions, start there and then keep asking yourself, why do I want that? But why? But why? But why? And then you get to a deeper question, of, which is usually self-preservation, really. I'm just trying to prevent death or whatever I think death represents. Ask deeper questions so that you can stop just um, living that surface life because you just answered a surface question. And, yeah, everything is exposed right now. I love right now. I really do. Because... It's right now. It's immediate. Everyone's attention is open. No matter where you're at and whether in any spiritual area, whether you even haven't addressed spirituality, it is all eyes on front. Everybody is sensing that I need to be more alert, more aware than ever before. And for some people, that's really scary, but they're still getting a wake up call that it's time for them to pay attention. They may not know what they're paying attention to. But they're open to ideas that they need to. That's first stage for many of us. And it never stops. This dying of the old self, dying of the concepts, dying of the systems, that's never going to stop. So, yeah, I love it. It's so good. It really is. I think it's easy. Loved it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And um, just two more questions. Um, we are in Bali, right? And I would love to know why, what has been a gift for you being in Bali at this time. You can even kind of frame it mm. as like a love letter. Yeah. Know, thank you, Bali, for whatever you want to say to her. Yeah. Uh, what is beautiful about Bali is I am loving that I'm in a place that already before I got here or already before many people from, we can say, Western mindsets, we dropped into a place that is filled with people who have devotion. It's not about what they have devotion to. But there is this commitment to being devotional. Every day, we see three times a day, they are being devotional in prayers and then the ceremonies and upholding that devotion to something that is greater than yourself and having more trust that it is there for you. And that if you do your part and maintain your aspect of the rituals of these cycles, that you will be rewarded and that just maintaining the rituals and the devotion itself is a reward. I love that. Bali teaches me that all the time. Every offering I see, every time I walk past and I can see someone deeply in prayer or in ritual or the setting it up. And it's just like, yeah, all that stuff's going on around in the world. But you know what? I have an offering to do right now. That can wait. Right now, it's just me in devotion. So, yeah, I, I there's a lot of places that come close to that. And I'm sure that they all exist. But right now, Bali is reminding me of just becoming and being more devotional in my life. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Um, and to close out, you've said so many amazing things today, but if you could just leave our audience with a message or a question that they can reflect on beyond this conversation, uh, what would that message be? Yeah. Uh, maybe a question, maybe, uh, what do I want? What do I really want? And why do I want it? Okay. Those are three questions, but what do I want? 
what do I really want and why do I want it? That's it. Yeah. Amazing three questions. I'm certainly going to go home today and think about that and make that more of a practice because I think those are questions that you can never exhaust. You never. can only learning more about yourself by asking that because you are different from moment to moment mm -hmm. and so is this world changing. So with that, we are going to close out. Thank you so much, Azizi, for sharing your story and your wisdom and for all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun and yeah, we pulled out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Go let it marinate now. Yes. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for watching and stay tuned for next week's episode. The Alt Normal. Thanks for tuning in to The Alt Normal. I'm your host, Tiffany Wen, and this show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow.